welcome to another edition of the Round Guy uh, podcast, along with uh, my co-host Dave Johnson, Dave the Rave, uh, Mister Southeast Iowa. To you, uh, we're fortunate today to talk baseball. We're always uh, eager to talk baseball, especially with Opening Day being just a week and a half or so away. On the line with us right now is the general manager of the Cedar Rapids Colonels, Scott Wilson. Scott, good morning. Good morning. We are thrilled to talk with you. Always tickled to talk about baseball. And uh, for a while there, it was uh, touch and go as to whether or not we'd have a season in the major leagues. But the minor leagues, you folks were going to play regardless, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not, uh, not part of that major league players association you know, with any of our players. So uh, we were going to have a season no matter what. So we've been planning along the whole time. Now, it it makes sense from a business standpoint that it wouldn't have bothered you uh, at all if the major leaguers hadn't come to some kind of an agreement because that would have meant perhaps more uh, fans buying tickets to see your, your kids play, right? Yeah, possibly so. I think that, uh, you know, that that was one way of looking at it. Um, you know, we, we constantly look at it and it, it, secondarily as well is travel's not cheap right now by car. I mean, uh, when you talk about even fuel prices, we're still looking at that thinking, you know what, gosh, we think that minor league season has lined up to be pretty successful this year, given, given some things and pressures in the field right now. Right. And in, in addition uh, to helping you at the, at the gate is that, uh, and a lot of folks know this, but a good many don't. Uh, there are no longer affiliates in uh, Burlington and or Clinton, right? Now that, and that we, we were talking before we got on the air that 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 does impact you in the pocketbook because uh, you no longer have the chance to play some teams that are close by. Yeah, it's a it was the commuters that that kind of went away, and I guess uh, in the old rules it was anything under. Uh, 90 miles could be a commuter. You go back and forth, you know, hour and a half drive there, hour and a half drive back every day and night. Um, and I don't think it saves a ton on the busing side uh, or that we cost any more doing it now the way we do, but uh, certainly costs us more staying there in a hotel. But from a health and wellness standpoint for those players, I think they probably get a better night's rest. They aren't, you know, hour and a half on the bus on the way home, get home 1 a.m., get to their host families, you know, sometime after that, and then, you know, back on a bus, eight, 10 hours later to head back and do the thing again, you know, six days in a row. It's uh, it certainly is better like that. Some of those things were um, things that, you know, you kind of had heads up on when they were changing it, the health and wellness rules where we knew we're going to get much tighter. Uh, that's definitely part of that entire transition that major league baseball is having all 120 teams do is, is really get both the home and visiting dugout or I'm sorry, the entire clubhouses to match. Uh, there's, you know, off, oftentimes there's a, a much smaller visiting clubhouse than there is a home clubhouse. And that's all going to change in 23. There are restrictions out there now that every single one of the home and visiting clubhouses have to have, you know, a, a small or a, whatever size square footage they set it out to be a training room on both sides that has two training rooms, a desk and, you know, two hot tubs. I mean, there there's a really a, a ton of restrictions that came out in that health and wellness that, uh, you know, that you bring up on that travel piece was just such a small piece of that. But uh, uh, I look forward to having health and wellness of our players when they're on the road 50% of the time. 
be what they're getting at home at the same, you know, kind of rate. I, you want them to not have those injuries that are, you know, career ending in the minors or something because they didn't get a good night's sleep or they didn't get to stretch or get, you know, they got a bag of ice thrown on their arm like a, gosh, I would say like a, after a high school game rather than in our realm, being able to go back to a, you know, an ice bath and, and soak it and, you know, and get the treatment that you need in an actual training room. Uh, and with that rule and the uh, expulsion of of Clinton and Burlington, is it, uh, in your opinion, something that they could come back later and review and, and perhaps let those cities again have a Midwest uh, uh, League affiliate? You know, I mean, what they were doing was cutting an entire level out of between majors and, you know, rookie ball, uh, or I guess the first draft picks uh, down in their Gulf Coast leagues and things like that. They, they cut out an entire league of uh, one level, and they made everybody only have one team at every level. Uh, that was the challenge. Is like, I'd say teams like the Yankees had something like seven or eight minor league teams to draw from, which gives you a large funnel to be able to kind of draw down from. And then teams like the Twins would have one team at each level, one team at rookie, one team at low A, high A, double A, triple A, et cetera. Whereas just so many of the other teams with had that had deeper pocketbooks had more folks to draw from, and those those minor league teams gives you more trade bait. And but I don't see them ever adding that back in because it was such a cost savings to uh, the major league owners. Um, I do think that they will want to figure out how it is that we get guys to have less injuries. Uh, it's been a weird couple of years, obviously, with twenty minor leaguers not playing. 21 having some sort of an abbreviated season um especially at the spring training level um and kind of going from there i know that last year what they discovered was not having that level in there were a tremendous amount of independent ball signings that uh came out just because of guys getting injured you didn't have that deep kind of depth missing one whole level uh to draw from i see well, that's unfortunate. <clears throat> but again, uh, when it comes to money, I can see where the owners are eager to save every dime they can. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, you know that. I mean, this to them is is a complete business. I mean, and to the rest of us, it feels like you know a hobby or things like that. But uh, to the major league owners, it's definitely a business. Uh, we are speaking with Scott Wilson, who is the GM of the Cedar Rapids Colonels. Scott, let's uh, uh, back it up a little bit. I'd like to get some background on you and and where you got your start and uh, your involvement in baseball, where you're from, where you've uh, been previously, and where do you hope to see yourself down the road some point? You bet. Uh, I'm one of those strange people in the, the baseball world because I'm older in the minor league world, there's there's several guys that are on the, you know, everybody's on the young side, so you turn over a lot. But uh, I spent 16 years um, in the retail world uh, out of college here. I um, I grew up right here in the Cedar Rapids area. I went to Mary and I went to the Naval Academy out of uh, high school and um, got hurt out there playing some football and came home and finished school here and then got into retail. I mean, it was, you know, kind of a big business about 30 years plus years ago when I was uh, doing that. And then uh, that uh, started to go down. You could see things 
changing, and I've always loved sports. Um, I spent a lot of my uh, youth going up to watch the, the Twins play, and um, my grandparents took me on trips up there all the time, so I uh, decided I wanted to check into baseball. There was an opportunity here at the Colonels, and I uh, was able to join them uh, 16 years ago now as a director of operations and assistant GM, and then became the GM when we switched over our affiliation to the Twins in 2013. So that's now been um, in my ninth season as the GM. And uh, um, just love it. I mean, you know, it's a completely different scenario. Um, and I, I always tell everybody, I wish in college I would have taken a job I absolutely would love out of college instead of worrying about all those things where, you know, money or things like that. I just, uh, baseball is an absolute blast. I mean, to be a part of and come to a ballpark every single day and, you know, look out the windows and, uh, you know, just know that that that's your job. I mean, and it's an entertainment business more than anything. I always try to explain that to interns or when I give speeches, I was like, we literally are in the entertainment business when we were talking about our fans, any of the disposable income and the money that they have to spend here is the money that they would have budgeted for their entertainment. Cause we are definitely, you know, a, a want instead of a need. Um, I, I, I would argue with that sometimes cause I think I need baseball, but uh, so there, there are people out there who feel that way. And, but, uh, it is, uh, you know, in, in the real world thing, we have to understand we're an entertainment business. So you got to be an entertaining uh, product on the field, off the field, uh, using your mascot, doing the things that we can in the public to become, you know, a crucial part of the community that we're in. Well, you're still, and with everything you've said, I certainly understand and I agree with, but yet you're, you're still in retail sort of, right? I, I, I am. Yep. And for better or worse, the board of directors also knew that when they hired me. So I'm also the merchandise manager here. So I still do all of the merchandising for our store and buying of all of that. So, um, yep, we are, we're in, we're retailing to the public, whether it be tickets and, and groups and, you know, everything that we do. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still the same, but I'm in uh, one building every day and I get to go home at night. So. Uh, and with a sport you, you enjoy. Absolutely. Yep. But you I were, yeah. we, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, I just said, it's so much more fun when I'm at a grocery store to have a conversation about what I do now, rather than to have somebody come up to me, know I was working in retail and be like, Hey, I have a return. I want to talk to you about, and I was, uh, you know, uh, not, not, those were not my favorite conversations. So, right. Now you only have to worry about the occasional, uh, overserved fan that gets too vocal or, <laughs> Uh, uh, out of line that way, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you, here's my number one question that I always share whenever I get a chance. I have had probably three people since 2010. Mike Trout played here that, that year. Probably three people who I'm sure are not giant baseball fans. Let's just start that way first. Come up to me and say, I still don't understand why you guys didn't keep Mike Trout here. Did you not know how good of a player he was? <laughs> I... Those folks clearly don't understand what a farm system is and how it works and uh, that we're very happy that Mike is where he is because we get to talk about him playing here, you know, and, and part of his journey. So I was like, but I, it would take me far too long to explain to them. I was like, you know what? I was like, that's a great question. Thank you. And then I usually walk on. So, <laughs> but you know, I, I understand some folks naivete with that. I, I uh, lived in Iowa City, 
years ago when I was going to grad school, and and I routinely drove up to Cedar Rapids to see uh, the Cedar Rapids Reds, yep. right? And uh, I had a chance to see uh, Paul O'Neill mm-hmm. was on the team then, and and I had no idea that he was going to make it to uh, Cincinnati and then the Yankees and become uh, as dominant a player as, as he did. Yep. And, and that's the unfortunate reality of minor league baseball and then you there in Cedar Rapids because a kid at that level is probably only 19, 20 years old. Yep. And, and when you can see them play, I remember watching a lot of times when I came up to your ballpark, uh, ironically, or for whatever reason, they were playing uh, the Wisconsin Rapids Twins. Yep. That was their affiliate at that time. And they had a kid named Kent Herbeck playing uh-huh. for them. Huh. And, and uh, you know, you can sit in the stands, and if you're a baseball player, as, as I used to, and it was my favorite sport, I can watch these kids out there and say, gosh, they look, they look solid. They, they look like a legitimate prospect. But the reality is you don't really know. And, and what a lot of fans don't know is that a roster out of a Midwest League city and, and A level, uh, you can go to a AAA game and see the roster and, and know that most of those players – are not going to go any further. They're not going to make it to the major leagues. Yep. And and uh, that's the beauty of it, I, I think. You know, is that you really have to have an eye uh, for talent. And and I did do some scouting, uh, uh, and for the Yankees actually, yep. uh, long ago. But uh, so I had an eye for you know some of the players that I thought might make it, but. But the reality is you just don't know. And, and guys like Ken Herbeck and Paul O'Neill not only made it to the majors, but were prominent. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And when you, were, when you had Mike Trout, uh, he might have looked good to you. You might have said, hey, this is a kid's got a chance. But even then, you don't know. And, and you mentioned it a moment or so ago, but a good deal of that is uh, injuries. Yeah, you got to stay healthy, yeah. Yeah. Now, how uh, is it too early, or did you go to some spring training to uh, watch some of the the kids that are going to be on your roster work out? We do. I did not. Uh, we don't often get a chance to go down to spring training. Unfortunately, being here in Iowa, we got to take every break Mother Nature gives us, and just to get the stadium ready. So, uh, I I always get a, you know invited. To, like you should come down. It'd be really fun. And uh, I, we just have never had the chance. Uh, my host family director goes down. She meets with all like the players in general. Um, we really, at this point in time, because Major League came on so late with that lockout, there's still a lot of moving around down there. And uh, and talking to the team, even yet today, uh, it'll probably be Thursday to Friday of this week before they lock who's coming to us. And uh, they fly in a week from today, next Monday. So on the 4th of April, they will be landing here. And um, I know they have to know and give the airlines the commitment over the weekend. So I know by Friday we'll have a roster. 
but the trainer told me this morning he's uh, nowhere close to being able to filling out who's in what number uh, at this point in time uh, where we're going to be. So that's just there's too many moving parts with Major League coming on so late. That was the that's going to that's kind of throwing a wrench in it because they've still got some cuts to make at that level and that'll push everybody down six to seven uh, players, you know, down each line. So. Um, and then be able to do that. So I, I understand that. That makes perfect sense. At this point, though, uh, are you uh, aware of uh, maybe the first uh, couple of draft picks that Minnesota took? Because they generally start out, you know, at A level. And, and uh, do you at least know whether or not you might have a couple of those guys? I would guess a lot of those guys, because last year's season was semi-abbreviated, that they'll, they'll be down in low A, which is down in Fort Myers, and then we'll see them up here in high A, kind of mid-season, uh, so on some of the higher draft picks, even over the last two years, because it was such a strange draft in 20 with only five, and then uh, small amounts of people in 21 uh, to be able to do that. But, you know, right now we are expecting about probably 10 guys off of the end of last year's team to come back. I would guess a couple of pitchers and a couple of the fielders who had some injuries kind of throughout the year were expecting to come back just to kind of make sure they had a grasp on this level. Uh, high A to double A is a pretty good jump in the amount of the, the way the game pay, plays, the pace of game, that kind of stuff. I know that that's one of the things in talking to uh, scouts that this is a this is a breaking point for some people, and then like as you pointed out, when they go double to triple, that's you know no big deal. There's some guys in AAA that we call they're they're basically four A guys. Basically, they're up or down once in a while, but they probably aren't going to go up and make a large enough impact on the major league side. Um, but you can go straight from double A up, and a lot of the top talent players do. Um, and uh, so it's a big important jump between us and then getting to Wichita down there in the double A side. So I mean you know I. There's a good chance we'd probably see back our uh, end-of-the-year third baseman last year, Seth Gray. Um, I would think, you know, gosh, we've had a couple of outfielders who were on the injured list. Most of last year came back, played for us in the, in the playoff run that we were in. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to make it to the championship game. So I'm excited about anybody we get back off of that team because that team, you know, was really um, had a good idea on what winning looked like and, and how to get there. And there was a good gel between, um, you know, a lot of the infielders and outfielders and, <clears throat> and uh, the pitching was pretty solid at the year end. our bullpen was, was very solid. And, uh, but um, you just don't know how many of those guys are you know going to get that shot to move up and, and, uh, and keep going. So, uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm as excited as anyone when we get our first peek at the roster, and I usually have it by today or tomorrow because we're a week out, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're pretty set. But there are too many moving parts down there in, in Florida right now to make that guess. I see. You know, uh, a real good example, and, and I know you're going to know all about this being a Twins fan, but prior to Cedar Rapids being affiliated with the Twins, they – affiliated uh, with the Quad Cities. And and they uh, started off uh, the season with a, a kid by the name of Joe Maurer, who, uh, you remember, he, he yeah. moved his way up through the ranks and, and became a solid major, maybe some say Hall of Famer. Yeah, yep. Uh, yep. Did you ever get to see him play? And 
I didn't. I mean, I saw Joe play on a rehab here. He was here for a week uh, quite a few years ago, maybe 2014, 15. He uh, played in a, a rehab here with us, and his, his brother was his manager when he was here. So uh, what was the most entertaining part about that is he's rehabbing obliques, and they were trying to just keep him, you know, kind of, everything kind of slower, a little bit of pace like that. Well, he was on second base and a shot got hit to the gap and uh, his brother waved him home, just told him to keep going. <laughs> so I was like, uh, we were a little nervous uh, on the rehab on that, but uh, you know, to have Jake and Joe in the building at the same time, I mean, they're, you know, what great guys. I mean, uh, Joe couldn't have been kinder to the fans, uh, autographs every night. Those are the kind of people that you love, the character, you know, of, of some players who were, it doesn't go to their head. I mean, these are guys who, you know, they know that that fan is, is important to their career, and um, that fan is what they're doing the things for. I mean, they enjoy what they're doing, but the fan enjoys watching them. So Yeah, I got to see Joe and his brother. They played for that team. And I also saw Mike, Mike Trout when he played for your team and a lot of other great ones. It was a, it was a great yeah. experience. Boy, when Mike was here, we – you could tell the kid was built like, you know, and, and uh, at the GM at that time, Jack Rader, uh, we would look at each other and just be like, boy, it's uh he looked like a small Mickey, you know, a young Mickey Mantle. I mean, at that point in time, and you knew Mike had some talent. And what, what, the problem that everybody needs to understand, like we put out a trivia question a week or so ago and just asked, does anybody remember how many home runs Mike hit when he was the Cedar Rapids Colonel? He played half a season here in 10 and uh, 20 games in 2009, right after the draft. But, um, and everybody was guessing just giant numbers, obviously that he was 18 and his power wasn't totally in yet. Um, he had a ton of doubles to the gap, but he only had like four homers. I mean, and as his whole time in the over half a year at the Colonels. So now when, uh, when, uh, Mike Trout played there for you, and Joe Maurer played there for you. That's obviously in your favor. You undoubtedly sold more tickets. But what did you do with the uniforms each of those guys wore when they played for you? Yeah, um, Joe, his uh, we have his and had auctioned off one of the ones he signed for us. You know, at a hot stove banquet. I mean, just so that the fans would have an opportunity uh, for him on that. Uh, Mike's original uniform uh, that he wore here was number 20, which is his Twitter, Trouty20. And they uh, it's hanging up in our suite level, which has a, um, a timeline of our, uh, our I guess, here up it's baseball back to 1891, uh, all on the upper suite level. It's just a terrific little visit to walk through and just see so many old uniforms up there. And now Mike Trout's is on the end of that. He's asked several times if we wanted him to autograph it. I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. That's a jersey that we don't plan to get rid of. Uh, you know, I mean, at the, any point in time, we love having a Hall of Fame that we can showcase, you know, the talent that's out there. Uh, uh, we had another player that when we joined the Twins then, um, in Byron Buxton, who played for us, that he matched Mike Trout basically number for number in the things that they did in this building. I think both of them in their time here had 30 infield singles. They were so fast. Uh, it's just incredibly speed, you know, from the plate to first uh, on a deep shot to short or second or just unbelievable to watch these guys' uh, talent, um, you know, come through here. And, I mean, our biggest challenge is, is as you pointed out, you don't know who that person is going to be out of that dugout that's going to become successful because, keep in mind, in that dugout, <clears throat> every person down there 
is the best person on that college team they were recruited from or if, if some of them very fortunately high school teams where they're just incredibly talented um, to be able to do that so there's maybe, maybe we always look at it and go six to seven guys total that are in that dugout that are going to make the bigs um some of them just for a cup of coffee others for a longer career like the the joes and you know trouts and those kind of things that you've talked about it's just you don't know that's why you have to come out Right. I mean, it's, exactly. You have to come out to see who it is. And, and because the halfway season is a big promotion time for folks, you come during April, May, June, you get to see the first half of the season. By July, some of these guys are long gone and up to the next level, and they finish their year down in Wichita, have a tremendous year, and all of a sudden, a year later, they're in the bigs. And right. you, you don't know. You'd have to come out. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And Dave and I plan to come out uh, and see your team play a couple of times this summer. That's awesome. Hey, I run into I run into Steve uh, there in Cedar Rapids one time uh, during an Eclipse game uh, that was kind of exciting. And then the shortstop number one draft pick named Lewis hit his first uh, professional home run in that game. He Uh, sure did. Yep. Royce is a Royce a good guy. I mean, he's back on the field finally after a year and a half off. Uh, yeah, he, he tore his ACL in that ice storm down in Texas, uh, that year, a year and a half ago now and didn't make spring training that year because of it. And so he didn't get to play. And, uh, now Royce is back on the field and that's why they have to keep getting other shortstops right now. Although nobody's complaining about Carlos Correa, cause that'll be a excellent shortstop this year. So I said, uh, and, uh, hopefully Royce will step up and do that. But yeah, that, that was just a few years ago, uh, that noontime game that we played with the Eclipse was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, how, what was the planning going into that game, and how did you time it so that it was? Well, I mean, everybody knew when it was going to be, and if you were in the part of the country that it was going to affect you, you wanted to celebrate that. You know, we did a giveaway at the front gate where you had the glasses that you could look up, you know, and see that, or those dark glasses, or those kind of things. And um, it was it was kind of a cloudy day. You really didn't need much of anything you know, to be able to see it. But it was interesting to have to turn the lights on on a game that began at noon. Um, so, you know, just for a brief period of time, you needed to have some light because it got it got pretty, you know, dark in the outfield when you were out there. So we were planning around that the whole year. We did not realize how extremely popular everybody was going to want to be out at one facility. It was just, just really neat. We ended up uh, a little over 3,500 in attendance that day on that noon game. And, you know, um, our stadium holds a little over 5,000. So um, we would probably have been anticipating around 2,000 because that's what we bought for the giveaway. We really wanted everybody to be able to have the glasses, but we were long out of those um, and uh, we're busier than we ever anticipated on that noon game. And, you know, what a novelty. You just, you just don't get many of those during most people's careers. Like, you know, there'll be it, the other eclipses will come, but it's in different parts of the country. And so, you know, those kind of unique things are right up minor league baseball's alley. You got to take advantage of unique little things like that and make it fun for the fan when you can. Yeah, I sat with a guy that never even been to a baseball game before. I actually knew him, uh, and I was surprised to see him, you know. But he told me, he says, man, I, you know, I never ever would have went to a game before, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Let's take that a step further, Scott. We are visiting with Scott Wilson, the GM of the uh, Cedar Rapids Colonels. Scott, what are some promotions you've got lined up for this summer that can entice some of our listeners and make sure they want to circle the date on a calendar so they're they're out there at your ballpark? You bet. Well, our daily specials, um, 
are just every single uh, week. We have those six-game homestands, so we started looking at things like you have to have a daily special because most fans are going to pick one day during that six-game homestand to come and, you know, what is it? Well, in our world, beginning every one on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, there isn't much you can do on the opening game on a, on a Tuesday night. You know, most folks are either going to come out or they're not on those weeknights. Wednesdays usually are bark in the parks or a noon game. I mean, so typically you'll see that our Wednesdays are noon games. If they're a night game, they're probably a bring your dog to the ballpark night. Uh, we absolutely have a blast with those. Um, Thursdays, we give away three fifty inch TVs every Thursday. So um, it's just kind of a, a fun night at the ballpark. We don't, they, the first federal credit union that does it doesn't require anything from you. We will hand you a random ticket when you come in. We don't want any, your name information. Nobody's signing up for anything. We're going to announce the number and give away three TVs that night. Just a lot of fun. And then, uh, and for us, Friday nights are two for ones, whether it's pop water, beer, whatever you want, mixed drinks, anything it's two for ones. And, um, that's, you know, a huge, uh, fun for us. And then, uh, we do fireworks every Saturday. So those are still minor league tradition kind of thing. Uh, Hey, Scott, I don't mean to break in, but we're, we're out of time for this segment. If you have a little time, could you stick around for another, uh, another segment? Sure. Okay. This has been round guy, the podcast with news you can use that don't give you the blues. Stick around. we got another segment. Welcome back to the second part of our podcast with our now good friend, Scott Wilson, who's the GM of the Cedar Rapids Colonels. Uh, Scott, we got cut off. We can only tape for so long, then we got to regroup the the loop there, I guess. Uh, Growing up and heading up to Minneapolis to see the Twins play, who was your favorite Twins player when you were growing up? Well, um, it was interesting. I had two. uh, I always collected uh, Smalley cards because I always thought that guy just had a great name. So I was like, Roy Smalley was always my card collecting guy that I would want to meet, get the autograph. But uh, Rod Carew was always my uh, longtime fan, and, you know, that I was after. And, uh, interesting, when we joined the Twins, and I went up to my first Twins Fest, you know, we were unloading the car. We load everything up. I'm in a back hallway, and Rod's walking through with a couple of entourage guys, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he's like, hey, uh, he, Rod Carew, and he introduces himself. And you know, I started laughing because I'm like, oh, Oh, you, you don't have to introduce yourself. I think it's pretty clear. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I said, I'm Scott. I'm the uh, GM down in Cedar Rapids. And, you know, really, really great to be a part of Twins organization. He said, oh, yeah, it's so exciting. And I said, boy, boy, I, I'd love later if I could chat with you. I've got a 1976 team mug sitting here on my desk. And I had it with me. And I was like, I sure love, you know, maybe maybe get you to take a look at that and name some folks for me with me. And he was like, yeah. He took it later. He signed it. Tony's on. Oliva's on there. He had him sign it. They, you know, they're roommate guys. And just, uh, boy, two of the kindest guys I've ever met in my life. And, you know, I, I said, I don't fanboy much because I, it's just, I'm in the business. And, you know, I'm around these guys all the time. So it's kind of normal. But it was, uh, I was definitely nervous meeting Rod for the first time and, and just chatting with him for a couple of minutes. And, you know, I've met him as well, and, and I grew up a big Twins guy, and I'm probably a little older than you, and and so Harmon Killebrew was one mm-hmm. of my favorites. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet him? He was a gentle giant, if you will. Yeah, I don't think I ever had the pleasure. No? I'd met him a couple of different times, and, and uh, I you know, it's, it's funny how uh, you develop – a following for a certain player, regardless of 
what sport it is. Uh, but I, I remember being a little kid watching our black and white TV and the uh, NBC game of the week. And I was watching the game and all of a sudden this fella hit a blast of a home run and he's rounding the bases and they were making a big deal about how far the ball had gone and, and the player, and he had an interesting name. Uh, they said, uh, you know, Harmon Killebrew and the name stuck with me. And from that moment on, I was, uh, I was like his biggest fan. Yeah. And one day my mother uh, suggested this might've been a year or two later, but she suggested, knowing that, that I, I was a fan of Harmon Killebrew, she said, why don't you write the, the fella a letter and, and ask for his autograph? And I said, you know, the idea sounded good, but I go, I don't, I don't think they do that. You know, they can't. But she uh, hounded me enough to where I did it. And within a couple of weeks, I got an envelope that had the return address as uh, Minneapolis, you know. Yeah. Minnesota Twins, and I opened it up, and it was an autographed picture to me from Harmon Killebrew. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I was like, I, I was three feet off the ground. I'd never been happier in my life. Yep. And and I just couldn't believe that these guys playing baseball and working out, traveling this that whatever would take the time, or even have the time to do that. And no. so then. I started writing some other players, and and uh, growing up in Central New York, I, I of course I gravitated towards the Yankees, and I would write them, and I'd get a response, but it was always a picture with a facsimile autograph on it. Oh, you know? sure. so, but I always thought, gosh, he, this uh, Harmon Killebrew actually took the time to write his name and mine on this on this picture, so. I was uh, I was a born again collector then at that point. So I yeah. I've collected cards and and uh, uniforms and caps and you know I'm on online for some of these sports auctions and though I don't have any money now because I'm retired I I can't afford anything but but uh, uh, I always enjoyed it when I was growing up. Do you there at your ballpark, do you sell broken bats and uniforms and things like that? We do. Um, whenever the players and some teams, it, it's different every year. Some players prefer to give their broken bats out at the dugout. So after a game, they'll keep them in the dugout. And then, you know, little kids will be around and they'll pick one and they'll, they'll give it out. And I'm totally fine with that. I always tell them that if they want to give me their broken bat, I'll give them $10. And then I'll resell it up in the store, you know, just for that. And so that someone else can have the opportunity to have one of their bats that probably has their name on it because most of them have that now, you know, they have agents and everything and they get bats with their names on them and, and uh, everybody just loves those. And then you can go get an autograph, you know, uh, off of that Sundays, whenever we get the opportunity to get back to what I would say, the last step of normal would be, we always had Sundays on the field which is, man, it's our kids eat free Sunday. So we're very family oriented on Sunday. And then we go out on the field for autographs and all the players usually are out there. They'll just they basically almost just sit down on the grass and people just line up in front of them and start getting autographs. And 
Uh, it's been terrific, but that's the one thing we're not back to yet um, with all the restrictions still from MLB. And um, But they would take the broken bats down there. They'd take game-used baseballs down there, things like that that they can buy out of the store to get autographs. I, I think that's terrific. Um, I think that's how you build lifelong fans. The uh, Harmony Killebrew story that you just told is exactly there's a guy who understands that, you know, that he just built a lifelong fan when he sent you a hand signed card back. I mean, it's um, that's that's unbelievable. And, you know, not everybody does that. And I was glad that uh, you were able to say that too because there's everybody's different. I mean, there are just a lot of players who understand where they're at. And, you know, and in the minors, we do a lot of community appearances and we ask, I would say sometimes, you know, players, hey, like, can we get some, you know, different, like, guys? Because we have the same five guys signing up for every community appearance. I love it, but I was like, is there other guys? And, you know, I've had one or two guys come through the locker room in 16 years that I've been here uh, that have said to me, well, I'm only here to play baseball. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not here for, you know, the, the fan interaction. And I said, I appreciate that. You're, that's certainly your opinion. But, you know, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish everybody just understood that, you know, we, we've got to interact with the fans in order as players, they need to be able to do that. Rod Carew told me a very good story that he wishes they would teach handwriting to all of these kids nowadays because nobody can ever read anybody's autograph. And, you know, five years from now, you might not remember who that person was that signed that baseball or that hat or your glove. And uh, you do find that several of the guys in the from that older generation – they, they print and write so much nicer autographs than you see nowadays. Now, Scott, why do you, why do you believe that happened? Because I'm, I'm under the impression that a kid that just signed and is at A level, right, hoping yep. to move up, of course, but, but just really starting out, that there, in a majority of instances, those are the guys that will take time to sign an autograph and sign it legibly. Yeah. And, and interact with the fans and, and get some enjoyment out. They're flattered to be asked. But but you go to a major league game, and these guys that have had the, uh, uh, had the request of, hey, can I get your autograph? Hey, can... Apparently that's something they've grown tired of, uh, and or they just are so nonchalant about it that, yeah, you can't read who it is. Absolutely. And where did that – where did that – I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out where that started. We've we've had so many team sign balls here just back in our history lockers and everything that we look back and we start trying to pull a roster and look at who they are. I'm trying to pick out one letter that I could recognize and try to see if it's a first name or last name and try to be able to do that. So it's been going on for quite some time. But, you know, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, a Time magazine where Rod was on the front. And I'm looking at Rod Carew's signature on it. It's terrific. And, you know, here's a guy who was older when he signed it. And it's an absolute terrific autograph. I mean, it's like, you know, um, I don't keep very many things around to see what those are. But I know that a lot of the guys nowadays are really good. Like they just slap down their first initial and kind of scribble their last name. You know, and uh, as I said, the the older guys that I've talked to and the historian – uh, Clyde Deppner and those guys up at the Twins always talk about, they're like, gosh, we want to teach a writing class to these kids and just tell them to slow down because they have time. You're absolutely right. At the minor leagues, you have time to take the time to sign, you know, to be able to do that. But when you're, gosh, walking down the line, uh, you know, a wall in the big leagues, you're just trying to scribble everything you can down as fast and get through as many kids as you can. And uh, But I don't know why, but I think handwriting is just something that's not taught in school anymore. 
like it used to be for us. Everything is typed nowadays. And I think that's where the disconnect happened. At some point, there was a trigger there. And uh, where we were learning handwriting when we were in school, kids nowadays don't even know what that is. I'll tell you a quick story that a kid told me about it. And and uh, I have no reason to, to doubt his uh, the story. But he was at a card show, which are so prominent, you know, during the season and many times after the season. But but he was at a card show and in line to get, uh, I, I think it was Harmon Killebrew's signature. And he told me that uh, he was at a show uh, prior to that where Harmon Killebrew was seated at the table along with Michael Kadire. And, and uh, this kid going through the line to get the signatures, uh, Michael Kadire, uh, a, a former Twins player, yep. right? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, was, was prior to Harmon Killebrew. In other words, the kid was getting Kadire's autograph then to move on to get Killebrew. Yep. And, and uh, Michael Kadire... Uh, signed his baseball so illegibly that when he got in front of Killebrew uh, and he was looking for a place to sign it and he saw Michael Kadire's signature and it was just, you know, hier- hieroglyphics, right? Oh, jeez, yeah. And and Killebrew said, whose signature is that? And and the kid said, and he pointed to, that's Michael Kadire. And he said that Killebrew turned to Kadire and said, if you don't write your name legibly, if you do something like, if you do that again, I am going to get up and leave. And I'm going to tell everybody it's because you didn't sign your autograph properly. <laughs> and and awesome. uh, it worked. If you, if you, because uh, uh, I've seen Kadire's signature since then. Yeah. It's as, it's as legible as you find. And so uh, having a Hall of Famer and an old, old time player, scold a current player for not writing his name right. But I, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Oh yeah. And it unfortunately, you know, it, it happens. They should all be told that all of these guys, you know, you write your name, and and I'm I'm glad many times they'll put their number next to it because that's the only way you're going to be able to tell, you know, whose it is. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's funny. I, I just marvel at how t- that has changed. All right, so Scott Wilson of the Cedar Rapids Colonels, uh, when the season starts, and we hope that it's, you know, in April, sometimes that's a little iffy, right? Yep, April 8th is what scheduled opening night right now. Now, when I said I attended a number of games at, at the old Colonel Stadium, when it was the Cedar Rapids Reds, it was a typical minor league ballpark, and I've been there since, and you've remodeled. Tell us a little bit about all the remodeling you've done there. Well, actually, we built a brand new stadium that is, we were, basically where we sit was beyond the outfield of the old stadium, and uh, the nice part about this stadium, the amenities versus the old stadiums, were simply, I have a 30-foot wide concourse. And it has TVs on it, and all the concessions are on there where you're not missing a minute of the game. 
You don't have to go somewhere downstairs, inside, anywhere else. Uh, you know, you can see the game from standing in line for your hot dogs and your popcorns and candy and everything. And it's like, it's all right there. And if, if you're the front of the line, and you can't see backwards, no problem. The TV's right in front. And uh, to be able to take care of that, you know, we're fortunate enough to have 12 suites up on the upper level. As I pointed out uh, in that first segment, we're that suite level also houses a really nice historical timeline that goes through uh, the history of uh, the colonels from way back to being the Cedar Rapids bunnies and rabbits and canaries back in the 1890s uh, to where we are today. Just kind of a fun piece to look at and uh, and walk through. And um, the amenities that we're able to give the fans here are, are so much greater than what they used to be. And I know growing up uh, at the ballparks, I you always enjoyed going down and getting a hot dog and uh, you seem like in the old ballpark, you always had to go downstairs and around a corner, and all of a sudden I'd hear everybody stomping their feet, and I'd jump out of line and run back upstairs to see what happened. You know, or someone right. just getting a hit or whatever, and you don't want to miss that. So, you know, we give them the opportunity. We also have – it allows us the opportunity for the group areas, for, for all the companies that want to come out and have their company outings and reward their employees and take care of their employees. You know, we're able and fortunate enough to have four different uh, group outing areas with multiple different decks within those. Um, just, you know, that's, those are all just terrific upgrades to be able to do that. And, you know, the field itself, the playing surface has always been tremendous. Uh, it was award-winning at the old stadium. Um, our groundskeeper at that point in time went down and helped build the red stadium uh, down at spring training and take care of that. And uh, so we've always had tremendous groundskeepers. Our groundskeeper here built the stadium in 2002 and uh it's still here today so um you know it's it's amazing uh, the talent that is out there taking care of the playing surface for these players to keep them safe and, and injury free scott what about uh the ability for people to uh follow you uh in this day and age of social media have you got a website, uh, Twitter, Facebook? What, how can folks that aren't able to be there but uh, still keep track of the of the Cedar Rapids Colonels? You bet. Uh, we always, I mean, the websites are a tremendous way to get onto it. Um, the great part about the website is it was also if it's uh, game time, game day, there'll always be a listen live. You click on that, and we'll be streaming every single game, home and road. Uh, you click on that and you'll be able to listen to our broadcaster, Thomas, uh, go ahead and, you know, just give you the game. And uh, it's I, I love listening to road games. You know, I grew up when I couldn't go to games listening to them on transistor radios and other things like that. And to me, that still takes me back just sitting there listening to a game like that. Uh, but we have all the regular social media, too, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. And uh, thanks to the young kids here nowadays. And our mascot, who uh, wants to become TikTok famous, we also have TikTok. So uh, that's a, uh, any way to you know that you can follow us. We'll always be on there, you know, at CR Colonel. So perfect. Well, you can count on at least two guys being at several games this summer. That'd be myself and my uh, co-host there, Dave Johnson. Where do you uh, want to be in uh, five years or ten years? Scott, what, uh, now that you've ventured into a job you love, uh, is that something that would spur your interest to 
move up the ladder? Or are you content to stay there? What What do you got in mind no. for yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's something, you know, when you're working with the big leagues, you always are thinking, like, do I want to go up there? The interesting part about it is the difference between the minors and the majors is, is really this. The, the minors, we are event hosts. You know, we have a team that comes in that is given to us by the major leagues. Uh, we are able to utilize them in some public appearances to do that. But basically, what we do every single year is put on 66 Broadway openings. I mean, opening night every night because I don't know who's coming to games every night, but it might be their only game. So we have to be as good that night as we are any other given night out there. So um, I love doing that as an operator. Uh, you know, we've had conversations. Um, I don't think... I want to do anything different than, you know, be the general manager of the Cedar Rapids Colonels for my time until, until my shepherding time is done. You know, I, I don't know when that is. I know this is an industry that wears your body out I mean, physically. There's a lot of tarp poles and things like that. And um, there will become a time when I want to be the guy that's uh, like you guys. Come on, on up, uh, find an adult beverage, sit in my chair, and watch the games again. To be able to do that, because oftentimes we don't see very much of the game uh, as the host right now. I'm trying to make sure that everybody's having a good time. There's there's a million things going on, and all of us in the front office are running around making sure that every iron in the fire is doing what it's supposed to do. So um, it's a uh, you know I would say in my world, you know we're in that in that five to 10 year category, I'm going to be sitting in the stands at some point during that. And, uh, you know, passing that torch to someone else to be able to keep this legacy going. But, uh, Cedar Rapids has had a long history and it's going to continue that way. Uh, we have a tremendous facility now and with a, a bunch of remodels coming up, uh, even in the future here for adding more batting tunnels, etc., to meet the MLB standards. This is going to be a tremendous facility for years to come. Let me ask you something. Uh, I saw a couple really great promotions. I saw Max the Clown, uh, and I saw the San Diego Chicken. And yep. I, you know, I got a I got a ten year old grandson that I like to take to games when there's a promotion that would work well for him. So, what what kind of promotions do you have coming up this year? So big ones this year. Obviously, I, I think when I think about those kids, I think about Marvel. Uh, you know, having a big promotion. We have a Defenders of the Diamond Night where I'll have. Well, we'll be wearing Thor jerseys and Spider-Man's in the building. Uh, so that'll be a, a big night for kids on that. We also have a huge Iowa Public Television night uh, where Daniel Tiger will be here. Uh, so for some uh, some kids in that bracket as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I think when I, whenever uh, Saturday nights where there's firework nights are always fun for kids. And Sunday afternoon games, uh, just a tremendous night to, or day to come to a game. Kids eat free. Uh, there's always a million things going on. We have a just a, a, a real asset in our kids' area back there where, you know, obviously kids can watch so many innings of a ball game and they need a little bit of a break. You know, we have a 30-foot slide, jumpers, t-ball, all kinds of stuff that's in the kids' game area that's just uh, an amazing time. So, But I, when I think about kids, you know, I'm thinking about those kind of promotions uh, in and out. Whenever there's character appearances, it's always a fun time. Scott, uh, what would appeal to me, I mean, you listed uh, a good many things that kids would get a kick out of, and rightfully so. You certainly have to acquiesce to them. But for these old guys like myself, uh, I would be there in a heartbeat if you were to have, if you were to bring back a Joe Maurer or a Rod Carew for an evening where you can get in line and get a meet and greet with, a, you know, a great former ball player. 
Absolutely. And we've done those in years past, and we've had uh, you know, characters from Field of Dreams. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's just, um, and this year, this is our first real season since 19. Uh, we didn't play it all in 20. Obviously, there was zero income that year. Last year was a limited attendance and a limited year so we're kind of easing back into it we've got i would say 85 percent of our normal promotions back up onto the calendar um under the budget that is this year and i think in 23 you'll start seeing some additional ones like that we've had rod here we've had tony here uh dwyer brown from field of dreams uh we had him here on father's day playing catch with people on the field because uh. that was I mean, but what else is more iconic than that? Having Dwyer go down and play catch, uh, have a catch yeah. with everybody on the field. And he went around and played catch with every single person. I mean, he would have, you know, his rule was kind of like five back and forths and then on to the next group. And then he was just, uh, but outstanding uh, individuals to have here, every one of them. So uh, definitely will be, you know, a big piece of ours. Uh, what I love is that so many of the young kids that are playing nowadays, interesting enough, uh, when we have players here, they often have had parents who were in big leaguers. And uh, I think about Derek Rodriguez, uh, when he came through here playing for us, uh, his dad Pudge was, you know, sitting in the stands while doing that stuff. For me, those are entertaining. I, you know, I mean, it's fun to like see them and think, gosh, I mean, these kids, these guys have kids who are now playing, you know, what are they thinking? And how hard would it be to meet up to the standards of a, of a dad who had a long career? You know, I mean, in the bigs and so Cam Bedrosian, I mean, it's like when he came through and his dad, you know, was here and I'm like, it's just crazy for me to, but those kind of folks could be here any given night. I mean, they all have young kids now playing and working their own way through their, uh, the leagues. So there's, uh, 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 many players from the Negro leagues that live in the area uh-huh. that have, uh, come, uh, over to, uh, uh, Principal Park in, in Des Moines and or some other minor leaguers and, and they've always drawn a lot of interest and in fact we did a podcast with a fellow who wrote a book. Dave, uh, you remember the name of the fella and, and where he, he, he's from the Midwest here, right? Yeah, he's from Kansas City. He was It was about the Negro Leagues in Iowa. Uh, I, I can't remember his name. He, he wrote 11 books, actually. And Wow. Uh, uh, he could play the he he could come to your uh, uh uh do the national anthem for you on the trumpet I think he said. Wow, that's terrific. Yeah, we used to have a gentleman here in town, uh, it was Superman. It was Art Pennington, and uh, Art passed away a few years ago, and he used to come here. We would have a celebration night every year uh, for Art, and uh, it's just you know he would tell stories about that league, and it's just it, in our world. It was awesome to have somebody that was still here, and you got to get those stories out while they're still alive. That's the yes. unfortunate incident is that history only lives in people's heads unless they tell the story. So, I mean, it's, you know, you got to hear it. And I love, I'd sit with people all day and let them tell me stories about those times. I mean, it's just terrific. Well, and, and uh, uh, a guy like Paul O'Neill, you know, mm-hmm. to bring him back, I I, uh, I met him once, but it was just in passing. Was it, you know, hey, how you doing kind of thing, and then you moved on. Yeah. We were talking about... Uh, uh, Dwyer, uh, what's the fellow's name? Dwyer Brown. Yep, from Field Dwyer of Brown. Dreams. Yep. And and so the movie Field of Dreams. Uh, yep. I, I'm wondering, what is your favorite baseball movie? Well, uh, that was that was pretty special for me. Uh, that 
you know, I, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a Bull Durham guy too, though. I mean, it's a, you know, there's kind of a toss up for uh, me, but when my dad uh, passed away a few years ago of a heart attack, Dwyer sent me a signed book and uh, in it, then when he came here, you know, I have a glove that we just play catch with around all that kind of stuff. So get the opportunity. He said, you know, whenever I meet up with you again, Scott, you know, we'll, we'll get together. We'll do this. Baseball is a great family. And, uh, I mean, I had met him one time prior to that, but he heard about my dad passing away, signed a book, sent it to me. He didn't have to do that. That was just such a cool thing. And again, like your Harmony Killebrew thing, he might not be his fan for the rest of my life just because he took the time to do that. And he's met me one time, you know, I mean, it was like, it was, you know, so kind of cool things like that will attach that movie to me for a long time. Plus when the field was damaged a few years ago by the uh, person who drove onto it and kind of caused some vandalism and did donuts in their cars and ruined it. Uh, yeah. I went up and was part of the team that rebuilt it. And uh, so I've got some blood, sweat and tears in that field now. And uh, so it's a pretty special place. And uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoy going up there every once in a while and taking, you know, my family who's all grown now, but um, as there's, as the grandkids start to age, it's something I intend to continue to do. Yeah, the author's name was Phil S. Dixon, uh, and he is just fabulous to talk to. Hey, uh, uh, I'm gonna give you an option. Do you want Do you want to hang out for a little more uh, segment, or, or how much? Do you got any time? I probably I probably better get back to running a pressure washer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I we've got three more guys. minutes. Listen, we've taken up more than enough of your time. I appreciate but- it. But no more so than we, uh, but just do this. Promise that uh, Dave and I can show up there and get to meet you and hang out and have a hot dog and watch a game this summer. Oh, please do. Look me up whenever you're around here, and uh, like I, I want to make sure I get a chance to meet you guys, shake your hands. I, I, I agree. I sure enjoyed talking with you. Scott Wilson, the GM of the Cedar Rapids Colonels. It's not as easy for me to say that. I want to say Cedar Rapids Reds. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but you've been there long enough now, and and I, I the last time I was there, I bought a game used uh, batting practice jersey out of your gift shop. Nice. So I will probably do the same. Uh, but but uh, I, I look this. You and I and Dave are right now the three biggest baseball fans in Iowa. I can tell you that, <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you as well. And we hope a lot of, of of our listeners show up and catch a game and and uh, help you out there too. So, and one more promise that at some point this summer, before your season's over, we get to talk with you again. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. I sure would enjoy that. Yep. Scott Wilson, Cedar Rapids Colonels. Thanks so much for your time, pal. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Yeah. <laughs>